conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Scott Fuger. We previously discussed Marvel Unlimited way back when. I believe we determined it was episode 30, and today we're actually going to be talking about Runaways, which is a Marvel comic book that I think ended up taking off in ways that some people weren't expecting. And we are talking about the initial run that began in 2003 and ran through September 2004. There are 18 issues, and it's definitely not the norm for your Marvel comics. Wouldn't you agree, Scott? Yeah, it's definitely, um, I mean, just the fact that it introduced like six major all new characters. Um, I think that that's pretty notable in itself for sure. <laughs> six characters, one dinosaur. <laughs> Very true. But to get some quick details out of the way here, Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfana, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, were the creators of this series. So they came up with the concept, came up with the characters and everything like that. Because like you said, Scott, these were all new characters. And if you look at it in a broader respect too, they created a lot of characters for this because each kid has their parents involved in what they called the pride. So you have a large amount of characters being introduced in this actually. And, you know, I don't know if you have watched the Hulu show, but they changed things up a little in that. And if you enjoy the comics, I would still definitely recommend checking the show out too, if you haven't yet. Yeah, I definitely plan on it. I, uh, I was thinking I'll at least make it through the end of the Brian K. Vaughn stuff. So yeah. like the 24 issues of the next volume, but then I'll probably give it a go. <laughs> yeah, so why don't we go ahead and dive right on in and talk about the characters. I want to start with the kids specifically because they obviously drive the story even more than the parents do. You know, the parents are a very important piece of the story, but the kids are really the ones that you want to sort of spend time with and focus on when you're reading this. And I think this first series does a pretty nice job of just breaking down what each kid is capable of. And some have powers, some don't. I think it was a really good, you know, sort of introduction to all the characters and kind of like an extended origin story um, where the, the first few issues is them, you know, figuring out why they want to be like superheroes because their parents are you know they witness their parents murdering uh like an innocent teenager basically and then like through the next few issues it's them kind of putting together the story of why their parents did this and along the way kind of realizing what they're figuring out what their powers are absolutely and we even get a look at what the kids are capable of the ones who don't have the powers or a staff or anything like that you know Alex is all brains pretty much he likes to be strategic and he plans very far in advance which we will get to more on that later but you have Alex Nico Molly Carolina Gertrude and Chase so they've basically been friends for many years you know their parents have been 
part of the pride for so long that the kids were sort of just forced together. And even though they pretend they didn't like hanging out with each other, they ended up enjoying themselves enough to sort of build this trust over the years. Yeah, and I think that was kind of one of my favorite parts was kind of seeing them, seeing how their relationship had previously developed and how it like continued to develop. Because like you said, at first, they're kind of all like, oh, we have to go to this stupid charity event for our parents every single year. Oh, I don't want to hang out. I don't want to be forced to hang out with these people. But then, you know, as time goes on, you kind of see that, you know, they know each other a little bit better than they let on. They're a little bit like closer to each other than they let on. And that kind of allows those relationships between them to kind of be naturally sped up a bit as they um go through what they're going through. Absolutely. It's one of those things where you see that they're sort of still growing on each other, even as these 18 issues unfold, because, you know, they would see each other, but it never felt like they hung out all the time. It was basically this yearly thing where their parents would get together and they would all just go hang out in the game room, which the Wilders have a pretty nice game room, gotta admit. <laughs> For sure, yeah. I'm jealous of all those arcade cabinets they got going on in there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but to touch on the parents, too, they're all very successful in very different ways. So it's somewhat more likely that the parents would have come across each other in their adventures of going to things like charity galas and you know all those things that rich people do <laughs> that you and I probably aren't aware of even and you can tell that there's some strategy in place with them too just based on what all of their specialties are and you know you have them doing this terrible terrible thing but their reason for doing it is to save their children so it's like yeah i get that i guess that's kind of noble but not really because you're ruining literally everything else and i mean it comes out in the end that like they <laughs> the original intention wasn't to save their children it was kind of all uh for their own gains uh right the prospect of living <laughs> in eternity and being these kind of all-powerful beings a little bit um and then it was kind of the kids one couple had kids and it through a little bit of a wrench in the works. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, maybe you should have discussed this a little more <laughs> if you didn't want kids in the picture. And it seemed like they had somewhat discussed it, but didn't really make any set rule about it. So then it was like, well, one of the couples is going to have a kid. So now we all have to have kids. And I was like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Not really. Yeah, I know. I would have almost expected people to be fall more especially these characters to fall more on the selfish end where it's like well i'm not gonna have a kid and decrease my chance i'm i'm gonna maybe use one of their kids as a sacrifice next year yeah and because this was the very first volume of these characters you don't have a ton of time to spend diving into their past you know 18 issues is a lot still for a run. You know, I actually kind of wish more comics would sort of fall in that 12 to 18 issue range of telling sort of just this complete story. And one could argue that this story isn't 
technically complete because they do bring it back in 2005 with more issues from the creators, which is nice. But I feel like as far as this story arc goes, it's like, okay, you know, these things all happened in a row and that's how we got to the end of this. And I'm totally fine with things sort of leaving you in cliffhanger mode. Yeah. I mean, I think as like a one-off, you know, story as a whole, it, you know, does kind of everything that it needed to. And if it hadn't ended up, you know, kind of getting the cult-like status that it ended up getting, um, I think, you know, it still would have been a good piece of work just on its own on this first volume. Um, but I, I definitely do see like why that kind of cult status uh, kind of became and, you know, allowed it to flourish into, you know, I think they're up to like, they're on a fourth volume or fourth or fifth, like, uh, run now. Um, and I can, I, I've only read this one so far, but I can really see how, you know, there's that potential for these characters to continue to blossom and be developed. Um, actually, one of the interviews that I read that was, or scanned, skimmed through that was cited on Wikipedia, Brian K. Vaughn said that for like his other series, Why the Last Man and Ex Machina, and I know this was pre-Saga, but I know for Saga too, he's saying how he had like, he has planned endings in his head, and he he knows, you know, how it's going to end, and he knows what he's working towards, and that's kind of the goal. But with this series, the goal was more for to create these characters and to you know, allow future writers to take them in to different directions and continue to develop their uh, their story, which I think is, I think that makes a lot of sense looking at these issues. Um, and like one of my kind of little qualms about it was I feel like there wasn't quite the character development that I wanted. And I'm wondering now that I read that, I'm wondering if that's kind of part of the point is leaving it more open-ended so that these both him in the future and other writers that he knows are, or that he hopes are going to take the helm, um, giving them a little more wiggle room rather than having these like finite character traits that are kind of less uh, malleable. It's as if the story didn't really have time for that character development that you were hoping for, because what they witness is such a big deal to the point where they just go on the run and it- they're taking things day by day and they're sort of just winging it, even though we find out maybe not winging it quite as much as we thought at the beginning, but you have all of these things happening so fast that it's like, you don't have that sort of time to sit down and just hang out with these characters really and get to know them better. But I think you get just enough of each of their personalities to figure out, you know, generally what you need to know about them in order for the story to work. And I think obviously now having five volumes, the current one is still ongoing, I believe, from Rainbow Rowell, Rowell, I'm not really sure, and Chris Anka. You know, they are doing a more sort of grown-up version of Runaways from what I've heard. I haven't read it yet, but I do agree with you that it kind of lets the other creators take these characters and do something a little different with them. You know, they can't be running away 100% of the time, you know, so things have to slow down at some point. And I think, you know, we've discussed diving into the 2005 series just to see where Brian K. Vaughn 
ended up taking this after they were able to revive it later. But I think as far as just establishing everything and the story that they give us, it's interesting because it leaves you wanting to know more about these characters. And I think that's what makes it so effective. It's like, okay, here's this crazy thing that happened. And that's sort of all we're going to give you for now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you kind of hit on this a little bit, like, as readers, we don't really have the chance to, you know, dive in to who they are personally on like a micro level. But also, they don't have the chance because it's kind of, you know, they saw their parents murdering someone. And then eventually they find out, like their parents are essentially trying to end the human race, I guess. Um, so that's, you know, the stakes are super high for them. And, you know, they don't have their own chance to, you know, process it and figure out kind of like what it means for them. The obvious exception would be Alex, <laughs> if you want to go there. Yeah, we can certainly talk about the twist in a bit, but a little more on the story. This takes place on the West Coast, so it's taken you out of the East Coast Marvel world. Yes, there were the West Coast Avengers and everything like that, and that's even brought up in here how there's an old West Coast Avengers storage place and everything like that. And I do like that within the story, they do tie things into the MCU. And obviously, you get the big Captain America appearance later on towards the end of the run here. But they just give you these little tidbits along the way. And you're like, okay, so they do exist in this same world. It's not like they're putting them on the West Coast just because they want to pretend that all of the heroes in New York don't exist. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to like that whole kind of like creating a whole new like world within the world and like these this whole new set of characters and really, you know, giving them the space to kind of like discover themselves and flourish. Um, I think, you know, in that way, the setting makes a lot of sense for sure. Plus, because of how rich all of their parents are, it's like, yes, you have a lot of rich people in New York and they could have a brownstone or something, but I feel like just seeing a bunch of brownstones wouldn't be nearly as effective as their big sprawling mansions that you see and all of the land that comes with that. Definitely. I mean, they need somewhere to run away to and be, I mean, I guess technically in some ways it'd be easier in New York since it would, you know, take forever to search every single building and stuff, but, you know, there's a lot more room for them to run, run away to and <laughs> yeah. uh you know the sort of hideout that um chase has isn't really something that would exist in new york oh absolutely not there's just no real place for that and you know obviously you have central park and everything like that but there are so many people going through there all the time it's like you can't really hide there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, also if you add the fact that uh, Alex's parents have the have them framed for murder and have the police looking out for them, you know, yeah. the, that would be a lot harder to avoid suspicion in New York when it's plastered all over the TV screens and billboards and everything. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to keep a lower profile in the in California where they are. Now I just imagine all of the Times Square screens being covered with their faces. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, you're not really going to escape that. <laughs> I know we want to dive into 
the twist a little more too because I think that is a crucial turning point in this series and I like that they hold on to it for so long. Everything has happened and because we're reading a comic book too, one of the things I've realized when I was rereading this, it's like we have absolutely no clue who it is because all we get is a note and we don't hear the voices like you would in a TV show. You can't tell if it's a guy or a girl or <laughs> anything like that. So it adds more to the mystery in this format, I think. And that's very helpful because if you hear a voice, one, they'd have to have some sort of voice distortion to really just keep the mystery going. But if we heard that it was a guy and you know that Alex and Chase have pretty different voices, it's like, all right, well, there's no fun in that. So I think using that as a tool in the comic is a really nice move because there's absolutely no indication of who it could be until it's revealed. Yeah, I think it was really effective. Um, I mean, and I think they kind of put little hints in there here and there that, um, you know, I feel like when they set up like the parent-child relationships, it seemed like, you know, Alex and Nico and Chase were kind of the ones more at odds with their parents. Um, and then like Carolina and Molly were, seemed to be the ones that were kind of closer to their parents. And, you know, when they showed the note, it was kind of just a very generic handwriting. So um, it definitely, I feel like there were certain assumptions that at least I made uh, towards who it would be. And then, but kind of without any real evidence. Um, so it was definitely a, a major surprise to me once it was actually revealed. So who did you initially think it was? I, I was definitely leaning more towards Molly or Carolina. Okay. What about you? I, I don't really recall when I first read it, but I probably leaned more towards Carolina just because, like you said, the others had so much tension with their parents, but Carolina was defending them every step of the way. And one of the parents actually pointed out that, you know, could you really believe that it's the 11-year-old who has figured all this out and, and is the mole. So <laughs> I think that kind of would make some people think it could be Molly. But in a sense, just the way she was acting the entire time and wanting to put on a costume and everything, she was too juvenile in my mind to be able to do that. It's like, okay, does this 11-year-old even know how to use a payphone or something? <laughs> you know, Because it's not like they took all of their stuff with them when they ran away. Very true. Yeah. And I think now that I'm remembering it, uh, I think the first note that they found was when they initially were helping Molly escape. And that was when she uh, found out she was a mutant. And I'm pretty sure she passed out. So she wouldn't really have been yeah. able to be the one who left the note now that I think about it a little more. But there's just so much detail in this to where it's hard to not only keep track of everything, but you just need to blatantly be told how this twist came to be because when we find out that it's Alex then we sort of have the other characters unravel it for us it's like oh so that's why you wanted to go back to your house oh that's why you went to the bathroom when we were getting food and everything like that so they piece it together for you after the fact and I like that the clues weren't too obvious either I feel like that would not have been nearly as impactful as it was because honestly I didn't really remember too much about the twist and I think that's partially because I have since watched the show which takes a slightly different approach to 
some things. I don't want to give everything away for you because I know you still have to watch it. And I have not watched season two yet, so I'm not even caught up on the show. But, you know, because I made that comment earlier about if they just call, it would be pretty easy to pinpoint who it was in the TV show. So there are things like that that need to be worked around. And it's just interesting how many things you can do in the comic book format that you can't do anywhere else, because not only are you getting these written cues, but you still have visual cues without giving too much away. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I also think you know, typically, if you know you're reading like a mystery or like watching a mystery movie or something like that, it's like you know you're kind of trying to figure out you know who who did it, whatever stuff like that. And usually, there's kind of clues that you know you can figure out if you're trying hard enough. I almost feel like it maybe should have been a little bit more frustrating the fact that there were so few clues for this. Um, but I think it also, you know, made the twist that much more effective because you really, there wasn't any sort of like definitive answer beforehand as to, you know, who it could be. Absolutely. Were you not only surprised when it was Alex, but did you immediately see why it was Alex? Yeah, I mean, th- the very first issue, the first like scene is him, you know, playing video games online and talking to you know who he's playing with and saying like you know he's like the tactical brains behind it yeah and you know plotting and um figuring out like kind of like the battle strategy and stuff so you know once it was revealed you know it's like kind of like one of those scenes in a movie where like where your memories all come rushing back at you and you're like oh he's like the reason that they saw the sacrifice you know he like which is the whole reason any of this happened so like totally you know once that piece falls into place it's like okay everything kind of falls into place and it's like okay yeah so he figured it out the year before and he's been planning ever since how to you know bring everyone else into this and that says a lot for a high school kid too you know i don't know how strategic you were in high school but for me it was just like okay here's another day definitely not planning a year ahead (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And I mean, he's kind of the one without a physical power. So, I mean, it makes sense that he's kind of, you know, the brains behind the whole thing, both when you're looking at the team as they were forming, it made a lot of sense. And then once you, once the big reveal comes, you know, it makes sense on that other level that he's the one behind everything. Yeah. I want to dive into the writing and the art for the series because I think those are very important but first do you have a favorite character out of the kids at least i think my first you know immediate first impressions my favorite character is probably nico um you know i definitely had that uh emo phase and (laughs) that super you know mall emo phase in uh middle school so it definitely just on the surface level appeals to me and then um you know i think the staff of one her power um is kind of the most one of the most impressive out of all of them so on that level it definitely appeals to me as well i actually want to quickly touch a little more on nico too because you know basically they're sort of promoting self-harm as her way of being able to use her powers and i think that was something that was somewhat controversial at the time i don't know if it it was this huge thing but i do remember hearing a little bit about that and i think 
that was something that they felt they had to change for the show just because you know it's meant to sort of be a more kid-friendly show <laughs> mm-hmm. and i don't think having nico cut herself every time she wants to use the staff of one would send a great message out to people especially you know in 2017 when people are talking more about mental health and everything like that so it's definitely something that you could see making sense for 2003 but not necessarily in 2017 even when they relaunched the series and did the hulu show yeah i don't know if i even necessarily like kind of thought of that as it was happening but that may, i mean it makes sense that it would be kind of skirted around a bit um i, f- I think at least the four or five situations that i can remember um from the series it was kind of like more she was getting injured and stuff but i could see how <laughs> you know that could become problematic in the future when she's trying to more like summon it rather than it right. having the, it like being as a result of them being in a battle. Yeah, because the thing is she has to bleed in order for it to come out. And you have that somewhat funny moment, though, where she's telling Old Lace to bite her and she has to order the dinosaur to do it because or threaten Gert in order for the dinosaur to do it because you know she's just trying to get the staff out and Gert was like well why didn't you just lead with that sort of thing and (laughs) you know I think Gert is one of my favorite characters from the series not only in this but possibly in the show too because she's sort of the outsider more so than the rest in the sense because she is very, very opinionated, and I think even within the group that gets her in a little trouble, whereas everyone else is, you know, despite Nico's emo phase, is sort of relatively normal, and Gert is all about the rights of pretty much everything, you know, and she gets herself in trouble by talking a little too much at times, especially at the end there when they go to face the parents face to face and I sort of just enjoyed what I was able to get from her personality in this yeah I think she would definitely be like my my second favorite of the group um I think like I really like kind of like her her attitude and like you said kind of like the outsiderness of it it kind of adds you know a little bit of you know kind of um like resistance within the group where she's more like we got to let go of our parents totally and, you know, be totally on our own and stuff like that. And then the other ones are kind of figuring their way, figuring out their situation more. It's a little kind of like less black and white for them. And I think it adds an, another good dynamic to the group. Absolutely. Well, let's dive into the writing and the art on the series, because that's something that obviously drives a lot of this story. And I really liked both the writing style and the art style on this because as I've been reading more and more comics, Brian K. Vaughn is a writer who I've constantly been reading, basically. I loved Why the Last Man. I read this and enjoyed it. I started Saga and I've enjoyed that. It's like kind of no matter what he seems to do, I end up enjoying it. And he does so many different types of stories too you know runaways isn't all that similar to saga at all (laughs) i would say maybe a little more similar to why the last man in the sense of all of the traveling that has to be done (laughs) in both series but otherwise i just think his character work 
is very specific. You know, he knows when to give you just bits here and there and when to give you more information. And I think, you know, if we do the 2005 series, that's something we might see happen. And I can't recall if I've actually read that full run. I know it's 30 issues, but Vaughn and Alfana are on 24 of the 30 issues. So I will have to check and see. I know, you know, when we did our Marvel Unlimited episode, we can't remember if they had implemented the little check mark to show you what comics you've read or not, but they do it now. So <laughs> yeah, Brian K. Vaughn's definitely a favorite of mine as well. Um, when I first started getting back into comics, like a couple of years ago now, I guess it is. Um, I went to a comic book store and I was like, these are the comics I like. Do you have any suggestions? And they were like, here, like grab saga volume one, give that a shot. And then from there, I think at that point there were like the two hardcovers out of which is like a not quite an omnibus, but it's like three or four volumes in one. So I bought those right away, right after finishing um, the first volume. And um, I guess kind of similar to the twist with Alex in here, uh, I know Saga is definitely known for killing off fan favorite characters and creating a major ruckus over that. Um, so that, that's definitely an interesting similarity I see. And I guess Saga is really, Saga and this are now the only two Brian K. Vaughn stuff I've read, but I've, Why the Last Man's definitely on my dock uh, for some time soon. And I, I I can just tell like how, you know, besides just the fact that he's super popular, like he's really a, an amazing writer. And like I said, and I think that's also why I was kind of expecting a little bit more depth um, as far as like the character development. So I'm really excited to see in the next uh, run of Runaways uh, how that continues to progress as well. Yeah. Quick fun fact for you why the last man is going to be coming to fx but i think it might not arrive until 2020 so you have plenty of time to read those comics as well <laughs> because there are quite a few in that one it's a hefty amount of reading to do but it's totally worth it and i know you have quite a few notes on the art that i had not realized about this so i will let you speak to those yeah um i actually just kind of saw it at the top of the wikipedia page um just before we started recording but apparently this was originally uh published through a, a marvel imprint called tsunami and the goal was to uh, bring in new readers, uh, like especially like younger readers and fans of manga, Japanese comics. And I think that makes the art direction make a lot more sense for me because it's kind of a little bit like I feel like it's a little bit less detailed, a little bit more two dimensional. And it has I really like the color palette, though. Um, it's kind of like I feel like it's kind of like subdued colors a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the in that way, you know, talking about like the manga and the younger readers, I think that makes the artwork make a lot more sense. And then I also thought it was really interesting that these were originally published as digest sized rather than like the typical trade paperback, which is okay. That's probably what like an eight by ten ish, closer to that. The digest size is a five by seven, which is like the size of like manga typically. So. I can imagine that would be much different. Like, I, I can't imagine 
like reading an American comic in that size. It seems so foreign to me, pun not intended, but I think if I read it again, like taking that into account, I might look at things a little bit differently as well. And it was, I just thought it was pretty interesting. I kind of want to know what these looked like now because I have only ever, one, read it on Marvel Unlimited and two, seen the actual trade paperback sizes for it. So that's interesting. I And I would be curious to know if it's something they still print or if they only print them as trade paperbacks now because if they don't print those sizes anymore, that's sort of like a really great collector's item to have for this series that seems to sort of just keep getting more popular every time someone's introduced to it. And this is sort of one of my go-to recommendations, I would say, for people who want something to dive into on Marvel Unlimited, but don't want to be overwhelmed necessarily. Yeah, I think it's a really good fit for that because, you know, it doesn't come with all the baggage of knowing that, oh, Spider-Man's been going for over like half a century. And, you know, like there's kind of a bit of a barrier to entry with other Marvel like titles because, you know, especially with like some of the bigger ones like Spider-Man and stuff, there's a kind of assumed knowledge of the character's past, um, which isn't really necessary with these. Absolutely. It's like the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series. Yes, Hawkeye has been an Avenger and everything like that, but you don't need to have any of that background really to dive into that series. And I really like when things are more contained like this, but like I mentioned earlier, they have nods to the larger Marvel universe. And I want to dive into some final thoughts here because we did not touch on Cloak and Dagger showing up yet. And that's another duo that have made their way to the small screen. Cloak and Dagger is a show on Freeform right now. And actually, I think today they announced when the the second season would premiere, but you know, they aren't your biggest heroes showing up like Captain America did, but they still have this role that sort of makes you understand, okay, you know, this is the situation we have on the West Coast, and this is who is going to come deal with it, and they run into their own issues along the way. And I sort of just like that they didn't feel the need to bring all of the Avengers in. Even the Captain America appearance didn't feel too overdone. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Captain America appearance almost was a little bit more like a cameo. Um, And I think the Cloak and Dagger, uh, it made sense because, you know, these are teenage runaways and that's kind of what Cloak and Dagger are as well. So they, there was, um, you know, that sort of feeling of kinship between the two. Um, And I think that, you know, I think it worked really well. Absolutely. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to discuss? Pretty much hit on everything. Um, I'm just excited to continue to read the next volume and see where it takes us. (laughs) Yeah. And the next one is actually the longest one, I believe, because volume three is 14 issues. Volume four was only four issues. And I think that volume was more of an event tie-in. So you have these four issues that sort of tie into something larger. And the current volume five, I have no idea what their plans are for that or how long it's going to go. But it's something where just by looking at the first issue, I was like, okay, I want to check this out. But I need to read the other stuff first. You know, got to kind of go in order here. And like I said, I don't recall if I've read 
volume two of it, but I'll probably find out once I dive into it again. And like I said, Scott, you are more than welcome to come back on to talk about that one if you're interested. For sure. I'll be happy to. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for talking about the 2003 volume one with me. And to our listeners, you can follow the podcast at Geekdom Pod on Twitter. Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. And we do have a Facebook page, but that's not as fun as Twitter or Instagram right now. So there is that. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.